Welcome to the Not All Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 449. As part of our Smithsonian Inside Science interview series, we have the latest buzz. Giant two-inch insects known as murder hornets have arrived in the United States from Asia for the first time. They got their name because of the potential threat they pose to bees, and now there's a rush to stop them before they multiply because bee lives matter. Asian giant hornets attack and destroy honeybee hives. A few hornets can destroy a hive in a matter of hours. The hornets enter a slaughter phase where they kill bees by decapitating them. They then defend the hive as their own, taking the brood to feed their own young. They also attack other insects, but are not known to destroy entire populations of those insects. While they do not generally attack people or pets, they can attack when threatened. Their stinger is longer than that of a honeybee, and their venom is much more toxic. They can also sting repeatedly. If the murder hornets become established, this hornet will have negative impacts on the environment, economy, and public health of the United States. Here to help us understand these hornets is Smithsonian's Dr. Floyd Shockley. Dr. Floyd Shockley is the collections manager for the Department of Entomology at Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. According to Dr. Shockley, more people die of honeybee stings in the United States than die annually globally from these hornets. About 60 to 80 people die from allergic reactions to honeybee stings in the United States. Only about 40 people die per year in Asia, and most mostly in Japan from reactions to the stings from these giant Asian hornets. All that said, the sting of an Asian giant hornet is far more painful and toxic than that of a honeybee. Researchers have likened the sensation to having a hot nail driven into one's flesh. However, Dr. Shockley says giant hornets are only dangerous if provoked and tend to keep to themselves unless threatened, but they're not necessarily a new thing. It is uh, a little confusing about uh, sort of why all the all the sudden excitement, but because uh, it's not really a new thing. But anything we can do to calm people's fears, you know, focus on the facts and the evidence, uh, and move away from sort of the sensationalist nature uh, is 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 time well spent. And you know, I'm I'll be honest with you, I'm not probably going to be using the M word. That, of course, is our guest today, Dr. Floyd Shockley. And now, please join me via internet phone in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Dr. Floyd Shockley. Dr. Floyd Shockley, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you. I think we're going to have a, a great conversation, something that is getting an awful lot of attention these days over the past couple of weeks. I know you're very busy personally with the subject. We're going to talk about what I'll refer to in a very non-scientific way, right right at the top of the show. I'll refer to these as the murder hornets because that's the word that's getting tossed around into the media. The, the better name maybe is the Asian giant hornet, but tell us about these. Well, thanks for, for asking, and I'm glad I'm getting an opportunity to dispel this right at the right at the top of the of the interview. So uh, murder hornets, I should point out, uh, is not a common name that has ever been applied really prior to the publication of the New York Times, which uh, sort of grabbed headlines a couple of weeks ago. Uh, everyone else refers to these as Asian giant hornets or by their scientific name, Vespa mandarinia. 
Um, these guys uh, are, of course, uh, quite large, hence the, the giant part of the common name. Um, they're social hornets, just like uh, some of the hornets that uh, people here in the U.S. are more common, uh, commonly familiar with. Um, the European hornet uh, is one that is often mistaken for these. Uh, it's established in, in uh, much of the eastern United States. It's also rather large, but not nearly as large as these guys. Uh, it's also an introduced species. It got here uh, in the mid-19th century, uh, and it's, it's firmly here now. Um, but what makes the, the um, Vespa mandarinia, or the giant Asian hornets, uh, such, uh, of such interest to people right now is their large size. Um, these guys are uh, between one and a half and two inches long. Um, that's uh, pretty large for uh, most wasps, and that's the largest of the true hornets. Um, of course, not everything that's a wasp is a hornet, only those that belong in the genus Vespa are true hornets, and this these guys are the biggest. Um, they're uh, mainly uh, not a problem for people. Um, usually the only time that there is a major encounter with uh, these guys and humans is if you step into the nest, their nests are underground, they're not hanging in trees, uh, like some of the other hornets that people uh, are probably more familiar with. They take over basically old burrows, rodent burrows and things, and build their nest in underground. And so if you step down into them or disturb them, then, of course, they'll defend the hive. Um, and, uh, the of course, the stings, um, there for a long time there was a mythology around these guys um, that the, that the, uh, the venom of the sting would melt flesh and all hmm. types of terrible things uh, that they could shoot these, uh, these uh, droplets of venom, you know, up to a foot. Uh, none of that is true. Um, these guys, just like most hornets, they have to make contact with whatever they're stinging. Um, now the stinger itself is, is pretty substantial. Um, it's almost half a centimeter long. So uh, you're getting a pretty good needle. Um, these stingers are not barbed like a honeybee. So when a honeybee stings you, uh, the stinger stays and it actually rips part of the abdomen out and the bee ends up dying. With these guys, um, they don't have those barbs. So theoretically, they can sting you over and over again, as with as most other wasps can. Um, the uh, venom is uh, quite toxic, um, not lethal in many cases. Uh, the only time that uh, you end up with some, with uh, a fatality is usually uh, the same as with honeybees. It's an allergic reaction to the venom, um, not because the venom itself uh, has a lethal load in it when it's delivered. Um, also, uh, usually the sting of a single wasp is not enough to uh, cause uh, death. Uh, usually you, you're attacked by a swarm of them. Um, and anything over 10 stings uh, usually requires uh, hospital intervention. Uh, and anything over 30 is usually considered uh, emergency. 
Well, thank you for all of that, Dr. Shockley. These guys really do get some bad press, and much of the press has really been around. They're wiping out the very important uh, species of, of honeybees, and and honeybees seem to be very threatened right now with, with some other issues of, of climate change and so forth. And we need honeybees in our food ecosystem. So what is it about the honeybees that the hornets are so vicious about? Once they get into the hive, it's almost a gruesome attack. So most of the time, um, giant Asian hornets are uh, predators. But um, to be quite frank, honeybees are a little on the small side for their prey items just because of the of the vast difference in size. Um, a honeybee is only about half an inch. Uh, to three quarters of an inch. And so uh, it's not really a very tasty meal. So when, when these guys attack honeybees, um, they're not actually looking to uh, eat the workers. They're there for the honey supplies. Um, so they're trying to raid the hive. And as the bees defend the honey and the hive, um, the hornets uh, basically cut their heads off as quickly as they can. They have really powerful jaws, uh, and they just leave the dead bodies there. They don't usually consume uh, any of the honeybees. So um, it doesn't take a very large swarm uh, to wipe out an entire honeybee, a couple of hours of work, and they can can wipe out a hive. Um, and so that 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 part is true. Um, they are really, really bad for honeybees, especially at a time when honeybees are uh, already facing uh, many other challenges. And part of that, if you don't mind me saying, is is because of the um, honeybees are non-native as well. Um, the European honeybee is the one that we use commonly for uh, agriculture and apiculture. Uh, here in North America, but that's an introduced species. We brought it here in the late 1600s. And part of that is because they have very low fidelity to particular host plants, uh, meaning that they'll pollinate almost anything, which makes them really useful uh, in modern agriculture uh, because we uh, cultivate a lot of plant species that also aren't native to North America. So uh, that's one of the things that's, that makes them so useful. Um, but I just wanted to put that out there that, you know, we do have other species of bees, native bees. Um, they, those don't typically produce honey. And so they don't quite get as much press. But, yeah, the, the honeybees, you know, honeybee and apiculture is, is an incredibly valuable. Uh, it's, it's got some serious economics tied to it. Uh, and so, you know, many beekeepers are really closely watching what's happening up in the Pacific Northwest. We are with Dr. Floyd Shockley. Dr. Floyd Shockley is the collections manager for the Department of Entomology at Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. Dr. Shockley is with us today. We're talking about the Asian giant hornet. And I wonder, Dr. Shockley, if you'd tell us, can these hornets be be managed? And what's the life cycle of these hornets? So uh, they actually can be uh, managed. Um, I should point out, though, that uh, all of the evidence suggests that they are not established here. Uh, mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. even if you read the the article uh, in the New York Times and and subsequent articles published on it, most of the of the entomologists like myself have been very clear 
that uh, some were found, uh, they were all destroyed, and we're not seeing any evidence of them yet this year. There's not been a single one found in 2020. And so uh, while we are carefully monitoring the situation, uh, there's no evidence that they that any survived the winter, uh, that they're still in North America, and they certainly haven't spread uh, outside of, of the Pacific Northwest. So um, the, the, the stage that is usually the target of management programs where these guys do exist are the queens. Um, the queens are the only ones who can lay eggs. They're the only ones that uh, establish new nests. Um, and so those are the ones that uh, fly in spring. Um, they they overwinter, uh, usually under bark, uh, in the ground. Uh, they do not make their nest where they've overwintered. Uh, and so most of them would be uh, flying around right now looking for uh, appropriate nest sites to set up, um, feeding occasionally. Once she gets the nest set up and they reach a, a critical mass of about 50 workers, she'll stop foraging altogether and they'll they'll do all of that. So she won't leave the nest again uh, until the end of the season and she'll she'll die and they'll make new ones uh, to disperse at the end of the year. So there's so there's two cycles when the when queens are active. That's first in the spring when the ones who have overwintered are looking to establish new nests. Uh, during the summer is when the workers are out foraging. Um, and again, mostly they're foraging for other insects, prey items that they can feed uh, to their to their brood. Uh, and then uh, at the end of the season, uh, reproductives, males and females are both made. Uh, and then those females will will fly off to find a new place to overwinter uh, so that they can can uh, start the cycle all over again the following year. Mm -hmm. So we're talking spring, summer, winter, maybe about a year, and that's that's the critical point in time that we need to be aware of this? That's correct, yeah. So um, queens live about a year, mm -hmm. uh, but everyone else lives about, about 10 to 15 weeks, and then they're done. Fascinating stuff. We really appreciate your time today, Dr. Floyd Shockley. I just have one final question because I think this is certainly getting out there and we appreciate all of the scientific information that you're sharing with us. What should the public do at this point? Well, I think uh, especially uh, if you are not in the Pacific Northwest, um, you're not going to really see any of these, but what you might see are other wasps and hornets. Uh, and there's a tendency to overreact and kill those, uh, and that's that's ecologically very bad. Um, a lot of those wasps and hornets are going to be uh, doing a very important ecological service. A lot of them are uh, out there collecting uh, pest species that feed on crops, both in commercial uh, growing uh, farms as well as you know private uh, gardens. And so you don't want to. Uh, kill a whole bunch of wasps for no for no good reason. Um, if you are in the Pacific Northwest, of course, um, we are actively asking for the public to be uh, vigilant, especially uh, those uh, folks who own uh, beehives, whether they're professional apiculturalists or just have hobby hives, um, and reach out and contact uh, the Washington State Department of Agriculture. 
the USDA has a big monitoring program now uh, where they're watching for this. Uh, they put a lot of money in their 2020 budget uh, to, to monitor the program. So uh, reach out to a professional. And uh, in many cases, uh, people can, can take a, a decent picture with their cell phone and send that uh, into the Department of Agriculture or, or, or to uh, an entomologist that maybe they know personally. Uh, there's a lot of us here in North America. So uh, a good cell phone picture is usually enough for us to do a quick idea of yes, it is, no, it isn't, or maybe it's something uh, you should try and, 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 and catch or notify local authorities about. So uh, we're asking people to just be vigilant. We don't think that they're here, uh, but we can't rule out the possibility. And we need the public's health because we can only be in so many places uh, at a time. So helpful. Thank you so much, Dr. Floyd Shockley, for your time today, for your generous time. Of course, we've been with Dr. Floyd Shockley from the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. We'll put up links to where you can find out more information about Dr. Shockley and his work, as well as links to a couple of the sites that Dr. Shockley is mentioning, the Washington government site, USDA, and all of that. But Dr. Shockley, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate this solid information about these Asian giant hornets. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Dr. Floyd Shockley from the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. My thanks, as always, to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And my thanks, as always, to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, stay safe, everyone. Practice smart social distancing and talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>